Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The top medical story of the week has to be the Wuhan coronavirus. The CDC has reported that the first case of this Chinese coronavirus has hit the United States. The man infected is from Washington State, and the CDC confirmed he had it with a genetic test. We're also hearing that there possibly could be somebody that landed at LAX that also has this. This virus is zoonotic, which means it can be transmitted from animals to humans. In this case, they think that it might have originated with a snake, but the virus can also be passed between humans. For more on this story, we spoke to Dan Vergano, science reporter at BuzzFeed News, for what we know about the coronavirus. Well, it's an interesting case. A uh, man came from Wuhan, China, which is the epicenter of the outbreak around January 15th and didn't have symptoms. And he arrived in the U.S. and then the indirect flight arrived in Seattle. The next day, he feels sick. He goes to his doctor. He apparently had researched the disease himself and put two and two together and, and brought it to his doctor's attention. Doctor alerted the authorities very quickly, public health officials in Washington state who had been sort of worried about this. The CDC has been telling them to look out, isolated him and sent off a sample to test. The CDC has very quickly produced a genetic test to confirm the illness and said, yeah, verily he has it. And he was transported to a hospital in Everett, Washington, where he's in medical isolation. One of the concerns about all of this is how this is spreading. So obviously right now it's Lunar New Year time. Officials are worried about a lot of travel from people in China traveling for the holiday and all that. And this is how things get spread around. And unfortunately, what what is happening is they're doing a lot of checks at airports, people coming from the area. But with this case in particular, this man in Washington, he came back into the United States right before they started doing these tests at airports. So the worrisome part of it is we don't know who he was in contact with in those few days. And maybe he didn't have a lot of symptoms, but we don't know if it was transmissible at that time yet. We don't actually know how infectious that is. And typically it takes months and hundreds of people being sick before doctors actually get a good grasp on just how infectious it is. That's the big question. How dangerous is this new virus and how easily does it infect people from person to person? Tell us what kind of symptoms and what other illnesses this coronavirus might resemble. The symptoms seem to be similar to any other virus that you would get that would cause congestion, uh, trouble breathing, stuffed up nasal passages, the whole deal. It's just that the origin is so peculiar, as you say. A lot of our viruses are thought to have had an animal origin at some point. You know, people domesticating animals tens of thousands of years ago probably led to a, a whole lot of viruses jumping from animals to people. And then they mutate a little bit and they can go from person to person. And this is what we have here. It's just that it's a new one. And the fact is the whole human species is pretty much naive to it in an immune sense means that it could spread like wildfire the way that Zika spread in the Americas a few years ago where the whole population in South America was naive to it. And about 300 cases have been identified of this coronavirus. So that's kind of the thing that people are comparing it to, you know, possibly SARS or MERS, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem to be as strong as those, let's say, uh, you know, and you're talking about how the symptoms are, are very common. The only way to treat it right now is kind of with those common treatments too: pain medication, fever medicines, drink plenty of liquids. You know, it sounds like everybody's making such a big deal of it, but the way to treat it is so simple. 
Right now, at least, it's not Ebola. But the deal is that viruses like this, they mutate. So it's already had to mutate to become transmissible from person to person. They jump from an animal to a person, and then in recombining, it must have mutated. These viruses are kind of sloppy guys. They get into cells, and they mix up their genes, and out comes something a little bit new. And the worry is you get something more dangerous that is very transmissible in this situation where it suddenly has 7 billion new bodies to do its chemistry in. What else? Did the CDC say anything other than making the announcement of the man in Washington? Did they signal any next steps? They announced that they were going to include screening expanded rather to Atlanta and Chicago, and that they were going to start funneling flights or travelers from elsewhere who were taking indirect flights into the country that were starting out in Wuhan through the five airports, New York, LAX, San Francisco, and now Atlanta and Chicago, through those points for screening. So, you know, if you you landed in Vancouver and then we're going to take a short flight somewhere else from Wuhan that you're going to be removed from your plane and you know, given a new ticket to go to an airport where you can be screened. And the hope is that they have this genetic test now that they're going to spread worldwide, that you can do a rapid assessment of whether or not you have the disease or not, and they can screen a whole lot more people more quickly. Dan Vergano, science reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. An interesting international story that came out this week. Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, CEO of Amazon, and owner of the Washington Post, was hacked by the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. A digital forensic analysis has determined that large amounts of data were extracted after a corrupted video file was sent to Bezos from the WhatsApp account of the crown prince. For more on this story, we speak to Stephanie Kirschkissner. She's the investigative reporter for The Guardian who broke this story. I think the way to look at it is not just that Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man and the founder of Amazon, but that he is also the owner of the Washington Post. And that's really the most important role you have to think about on this. So we already had an inkling from Bezos' own security team that they believed that the Saudis somehow had gotten access to his phone. And that discovery was established or made after the National Enquirer published details about his extramarital affair in January of 2019. What we revealed the Guardian was that it wasn't just the sort of Saudis who allegedly hacked this phone, but it was actually the crown prince specifically or his WhatsApp account that sent the malicious file that ended up infiltrating Bezos's phone. Some reports I've seen that Bezos and the crown prince were at some type of dinner and they exchanged numbers or WhatsApp handles. So they had very limited contact. They weren't like texting buddies or anything, but he got sent some video and it was this video that was loaded up with malware that was able to start stealing information from Jeff Bezos' phone. And that happened within hours, we're told. Huge amount of data is exfiltrated from Bezos' phone. Now, the really eye-opening part of this is that, you know, there's no way that Jeff Bezos could have suspected or even known this was happening to him. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, if he doesn't know, then what chances are for us? And these cyber warfare companies, rather, are very sophisticated and they sell their products to foreign countries, uh, often authoritarian regimes. And in some cases, the technology is so sophisticated that you as a user don't even have to click on a link. It's enough to just have a file sent to your phone. And then I think I also remember seeing that whatever this malware was had some type of kill mode on it where it was basically disappeared or it wasn't uh, active anymore by the times that forensic teams got their hands on Jeff Bezos' phone to look for it. 
Well, I can speak in general terms that the difficulty with this kind of software or malware is that it is very difficult to detect unless someone is observing your phone as it's happening. Earlier, I said his role as the owner of the Washington Post is important. The reason that is, is because at the time that this file is sent, you've got Bezos owning the Washington Post and the Washington Post employing a columnist called Jamal Khashoggi, who was causing a lot of trouble, or at least a perception of trouble, for Mohammed bin Salman and his inner circle. And of course, the tragedy is that Jamal Khashoggi was killed few months later in October 2018. And the Post themselves would post things critical of the Saudi government. So this is really the thinking is they wanted to hack him for those purposes, uh, maybe smear him later, whatever that was. And for their part, I guess the Saudi embassy has denied all these allegations. They did that on Twitter. They're calling for an investigation and they want all the facts out. But that's kind of exactly what happened with the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. They did the same thing, denied it, called for investigations. And look where that ended up. It's very difficult to take too seriously what the Saudis say because they have such a challenging record in terms of being honest and telling the truth. And so many times they make statements that are obviously challenged by the facts. In this case, they called the media reports absurd and said they want an investigation. There is going to be an investigation, as it turns out, because we have two special rapporteurs at the United Nations who are following the digital leads and have come out with this. Um, I interviewed Agnes Calamar today, who is the UN Special Rapporteur on extrajudicial murders. She's already investigated and is continuing to investigate the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. And she sees real links between that murder and this hack, um, although it might be difficult to kind of imagine why she sees the connection. But for her, the apparent personal involvement of Mohammed bin Salman through his WhatsApp account is to her evidence of a personal role in, at the very least, surveillance and targeting of an individual who would have been seen as being in the same circle as Jamal Khashoggi because of his ownership of the Washington Post. Stephanie Kirschgesner, investigative reporter for The Guardian. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. In politics, while the impeachment trial is playing out in the Senate, the New York Times has made an endorsement for 2020. Actually, they made two endorsements. The Democratic Party as a whole has not made a decision of where it wants to go, a more progressive route or more moderate. So breaking with convention, the New York Times editorial board decided to endorse both Senator Amy Klobuchar as a moderate choice and Senator Elizabeth Warren as a more progressive choice. Democratic voters must decide which model they want to go with that would have the best chance of beating President Trump and moving the country forward. So to explain this decision, we spoke to Mara Gay from the New York Times editorial board. We are dealing with a large field of Democrats, first of all, and there do seem to be two visions within the Democratic Party. There are those who believe that Donald Trump is an aberration and in fact that moderation is required here and that you can not go back to business as usual necessarily, but that you don't really need fundamental change. And I would say that's the kind of the Biden, Klobuchar wing of the party. And then you also have those who are sometimes just more liberal, we would say, but just who believe that institutions are either broken in the country or that there's just more fundamental change that is required here and that Trump is a symptom of a much deeper problem. And that would be the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing of the party. And 
it's been a little frustrating to see the debate in the Democratic Party over the past couple of months because we really do think that there's far more that Democrats have in common than divides them. And so this was our way of, first of all, narrowing the field and singling out two extremely impressive candidates who we believe deserves voters' special attention. And they happen to be two women, which is that's an exciting thing as well. The only two women in the race at this point. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is really trying to pull back a little bit and break this log jam of the way that voters are thinking about the election in the Democratic Party. I think there's been a sense for a long time that Democrats just want to beat Trump. And I think that's probably spot on. But the question of how to do that, I think it's actually more complicated than folks would want to imagine. There's not just one way forward. And that's what we're trying to reflect here. I think Joe Biden, by the way, the former vice president, this was not a snub to him. This is not about Joe Biden. But it is important for us to say that we really looked at the field and we don't believe that Joe Biden is the only path forward. And this was really a way to highlight two of the candidates who we think stand out from the path and deserve the attention of voters. There's so much at stake with this next election, and that's why there's so much uncertainty. That's why we get a bunch of articles and write-ups about people just so unsure who the right person would be to either beat the president and still carry the vision forward, you know, to move the country forward, even with polls. That's why there's such a tightening in the polls. People are just not sure who the right person is going to be. And you guys mentioned in the editorial also, you know, People want new ideas now. They want this progressive side, but people also want this stability. That's why they might want to go with a moderate. And all this stuff causes a lot of uncertainty. Okay, so let's narrow down a little bit more. Let's start with Elizabeth Warren. Why is she the pick for Democrats looking for a more progressive vision? The thing I found most compelling about Senator Warren is that she has spent her entire lifetime studying working families and working Americans and how to help improve their lives. I really believe that this is an election that is not only about beating Donald Trump, but it's also about saving the American middle class and just the sheer notion of the opportunity that the country is supposed to provide for all who work hard. Of course, it's never quite lived up to that, but we're really heading in the wrong direction when you look at income inequality in the country. And Elizabeth Warren's plans, which certainly are very progressive, are reflective of somebody who really deeply understands that fundamentally the system and and the democracy and its institutions are not really working the way they should for working Americans, for most Americans. It's interesting, actually, because I think that if you ask Senator Warren about the left moderate divide in the Democratic Party, she really doesn't see it that way. What she sees is that she is somebody who believes the Democratic Party should speak to income inequality in a very radical way. And we agree with her, which is why she has our endorsement. And it's not half of an endorsement. It's a full endorsement. And Senator Klobuchar has a different way to address the same problem. But I think it's notable that both of them really deeply understand the crisis that the American middle class is in. And the crisis that could be provoked in a country when you have vast levels of income inequality. And I think those are the two best, most serious candidates. 
let's focus on Senator Amy Klobuchar a little more now. You guys said that she has emerged as the standard bearer for the Democratic Center. She can be a real deal maker, and she's the most productive senator of the bunch that's in there right now. I mean, she's had the most bills passed in that sense of, of it. She's selling herself as a deal maker, but unlike President Trump, she can actually back that up. And she understands how to get things done in a bipartisan way where possible. But like Senator Warren, she is a fighter. They're both fighters. They're both willing to stand up when they need to, but they're willing to compromise and make a deal when it is an interest of the American people to do so. The other thing that attracted us to Senator Klobuchar is the fact that she has won so many elections in areas of the country that are not necessarily very liberal. She talks about being able to campaign in the Iron Range, for example, of northern Minnesota. She polls very well with men, which is an unusual way for a female candidate. She's somebody who's got a certain kind of Midwestern charm, but also toughness. And I think she and Senator Warren share that there's actually far more in common between them than than you might think. Okay, so we have these two endorsements, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Talk to us a little bit more about the choice that Democrats need to make with the future of the party. As I mentioned before, we had President Barack Obama. Everybody rallied around him and the vision. And after that, the party really seemed lost. Nobody really knew which way to go. And there really hasn't been a star in that sense to unite everybody. Having met all of the Democratic candidates or nearly all of them at this point, I walked away with a sense that not only is there far more that unites all these Democrats? I mean, the policy platforms are startlingly similar yeah, this year, with some notable exceptions on health care and some other issues. But I think Democrats, voters and candidates alike, we just hope that they're able to take a step back and really open their minds and rethink the notion of electability and who is electable. I think there is a desperation and a very understandable one among Democrats in this country and some others to replace the president who they rightly see as a threat to democracy. And there is a sense of deep concern and in some cases despair about how to do that. And so that has led a lot of voters and particularly black voters, older black voters, to want to look for the quote unquote safe choice. So the former vice president, Joe Biden, who by the way, has a lot to offer, but is also a very familiar candidate. He has been the standard bearer for that line of thinking. And I'm kind of of the belief that any of these candidates could actually beat Donald Trump if Democrats show up to the polls and if Americans do the right thing by protecting the vote. And so I think that this endorsement was also a way to kind of hopefully get people to rethink what it means when we talk about electability. There's more than one way to get to the White House. There's more than one way to build a winning coalition here. And I think it's a good inflection point, you know, to kind of cut through all of the infighting within the Democratic Party and step back and recognize that at some point the Democrats need to coalesce around one candidate. And any of these candidates are impressive, but we believe that Senators Warren and Klobuchar are the most impressive and the strongest. Mara Gay with the New York Times editorial board. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter 
and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.